Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Kenneth Tanner. Kenneth is a pastor of Church of the Holy Redeemer in Rochester Hills, Michigan. He writes for numerous websites and magazines, including the Huffington Post and Sojourners. Ken, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Scott. Good to, good to be with you as always. It's always a pleasure, my friend. And you are coming to us live from Michigan. Well, live to tape at least from Michigan. Lovely Michigan. Yeah, it's um, it's been warm and, uh, and beautiful. And this Sunday, you'll be preaching from the lectionary. We have, this is proper 15, year B. And we've got, our first reading is 1 Kings 2. Verses 10 through 12, which tells us about the death of David. And then chapter 3, verses 3 through 14, which here we have Solomon, sort of intro to Solomon in his beginning of his reign. He loves the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. Yeah, it's interesting that you get that whole narrative. And does that mean like it, it says something about a thousand burnt offerings at that altar, I, I, probably not all at once. It's sort of a summation of maybe what he does over his whole life. But then we zoom back to the beginning where God appears to him by night in a dream and ask him, what should I give you? He, he asked him, to, he asked him, and I think he asked us despite the fact that we're all idol makers and we're always offering incense to things other than the living God who gives us breath and, and all things gives us life and fills the world with light. Uh, He still, he still appears to us and asks us what, what, what we should, what, what we want. It's amazing. Yeah. It's interesting because you, you get this sense in which, yeah, I like that. They were all idolaters and you have this, this, portrait of solomon as you know simon yes used to peccator he's sinner and saint and so i mean it's yeah. not it's not an extensive critique and there are no further critiques of his of his reign you know and especially all the wives and concubines you know he becomes the dangers of divided loyalties and influences and so i mean it seems like there's almost an allusion to that that even though he's sort of still like we still have relative a, a sense of relative prosperity in the davidic reign but there is the 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 author does give us the chink in the armor here right yeah so he loves the lord and he walks in the statutes of his father david um, who was a man after god's own heart and yet here he is at the same time like all of us we we love the true god we love the living god yet we offer um sacrifices to things less than god it's a mystery it's a mystery yeah, of iniquity. And, it, and it's a refrain that you hear often with the kings, even the good ones, right? Sometimes they'll oh, say, yeah. hey, he was a relatively good king, but he didn't take down the high places. And you have the sense yeah. in which these are probably, I guess, maybe Canaanite or other kind of deity 
shrines, and there's probably some nefarious like, activities that go on in these high places too, which is why they're so uh, alluring to visit. I'm sure, but th- the one who's some- the one whose faithfulness is new every morning meets with the faithless. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then we get Solomon, you know, asking, you know, for wisdom that he he his his prayer is that is that he would be wise. Yes. It's um it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I I remember I was you you probably know that I was fatherless. My father was killed in in Vietnam and uh I remember and I think I've experienced this more now or memories of it more now than I I did then, but just a, a tremendous loneliness as a child. And I remember um not to put myself in the place of someone like this, but but I I, I I remember specifically one night in my loneliness praying to God because I'd heard this story in Sunday school about Solomon asking God for wisdom. I prayed that prayer. Hmm. I prayed the same prayer. I prayed, God, you know, I, I don't really want, um, you know, things. I don't want um, power. I, I, I want wisdom. And uh, it was, I, I, I it's, it's, a, it's a prayer I remember. Yeah, and it's interesting because, the way he asks for wisdom is quite particular, right? He asks in verse nine, in chapter three, verse nine, for discernment of good and evil, which mm-hmm. seems to harken back to the garden, right? The, uh-huh. What, and what Adam, it, it, it's almost like a second Adam story here, right? He, where Adam is forbidden to eat from the tree of, uh, the, with the knowledge of the knowledge of good and evil. Good and evil. Uh-huh. And he doesn't ask. Eventually, he just eats of it When after Eve eats of it. Here, we have Solomon asking for the gift, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. pleases the Lord. It makes you, like, it makes you it, it's wonder what God's response would have been had Adam asked for the wisdom rather than yes. take it. And, of course, um, you know, uh, wisdom is incarnated quite a bit in the Psalms. You you see this personage, you know, um, and and I think uh, it's it's referring to. Um, I, I think it refers to Christ. I think that's the way the that um, that's a godly reading. I think it's the patristic reading of of this. And so he's asking in a in a sense for the mind of Christ, um, and and it and it really pleased God that he asked. For this, um, and not for the life of his enemies, uh, not for long life or riches. I mean, the sort of thing like if you had a genie in a bottle, right? And 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 you had three wishes, right? I mean, who wouldn't ask for you know a long life and all their needs met, and you know, um, and and no conflict or what have you? And he doesn't ask for any of those things. He asks for uh the ability to uh to govern the people with the mind of god yeah and i mean you have adam right goes into a deep sleep and he then awakens to his bride and here you have solomon is in a deep sleep yeah and he awakens to the gift of lady wisdom Mm. and then what's interesting is that the first display of that wisdom which isn't the text but it's yeah i think in the same chapter is he discerns between the testimony of two women women and their children yeah it's such an amazing story and they and they're not a lot of names the king and two women they're not there's not a lot of identification but you it seems to hearken to proverbs where 
the whole thing is learning between the harlot, the difference between the harlot and Lady Wisdom, right? Like, oh, so here right. it seems like you have like a second Adam actually discerning between mm, the that, the preach. the deceitful uh, w- woman and the true, yeah, the true God, Lady Wisdom. Mm-mm. I like that. I wish I was preaching this Sunday. I would I would be going all the way through, um, you know. Through, out of the stadium, past the past the goal line, out of the stadium. With that, I I think. Um, and by the way, one of uh, a very gifted woman in my congregation is uh, preaching this Sunday, so I can I can take a break. But. <laughs> That's always good. Everybody needs a break. Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, you have this this two women. You know, the choice between wisdom and folly. Yeah, and, keep going and with also, that. And also, you have the sense of like. Maybe even like Galatians four, where the two women representing the two mountains, you know, the two, you know, one, you know, living under bondage or under freedom, you know, it's very mm. and wisdom, mm. you know, knowing what's fitting. Yeah, and wisdom seeks to save the life of the child, even if it has to give the child away. Um, it's and, and yeah. it's interesting too because like you have. The woman who's not the true mother willing to kill her child. It's like, it's almost like, it's almost like Egypt who kills her own children, you know, inadvertently through Mm. keeping Israel in bondage. Very rich, very rich passage. It is. Wow. To yourself, oh, why did I do it? You may find that the world can be cruel. Listen to the wisdom of a fool. Now I had a love. On to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Here, Paul admonishes the church at Ephesus to be careful how they live. Not as unwise, we have kind of a tie into the first thing, not as unwise, but as wise people. Making the most of the time, because the days are evil. And he's, he encouraged them not to be uh, foolish, and to not be debaucherous and drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. and you know that, and to be joyfully praising the Lord, giving thanks to God at all times for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Is that the shortest New Testament lectionary reading of the three years? It's got to be close. To I the- don't know, but yeah, I, I, it, yeah, it's not long. Yeah, yeah. The, um, yeah, I, of course, it's picking up the theme of wisdom and about making the most of time. Um, and, and I do think you know, making the most of our time does require discernment. It does require uh, wisdom. Um, yeah, it, I I struggle with this. I don't know about you, but I, I struggle uh, making the most of my time. Um, and uh, I think I, I, I get called out a lot. Um, I'm on call. And, um, and so my life, uh, is not my own in some ways. And I probably work more hours than most people do. But, um, you know, I, I don't always, because I'm called into so much crisis, I don't always make the most of the time that I have to myself. Um, I'm doing better at it now, the older I get, but, uh, it's been a struggle. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think of the way Paul wraps this up, like about, you know, being grateful and if, being effusive in, in in your gratitude to 
the the father of of the Lord Jesus. I think about in Chariots of Fire when Eric Little is he says, you know, I believe sister sister. I know I believe God's made me for a purpose for China, but He's also made me fast. Mm. And when I run, yeah, I feel His pleasure. Yeah. And then later they ask Harold Abrams like why he runs, and he says because when I hear that gun go off, I have ten seconds to justify my existence. Oh my like, God, I know. And I feel like so often like time will be looked at one way or the other right the time we're given oh right as either the theater of god's glory where we can gratefully you know be actors you know and and and, and witnesses or it will it will come at us as a form of the law and as one more as to-do lists and things that cause anxiety and guilt and frustration. Yeah, I, I think that it would is... be easy to mistake making the most of your time as a as a admonition to make sure that you're being as productive as you possibly can. I think, especially in our day and age. Yeah, and I think reading it. I mean, this is what is interesting, right? With these imperatives, like it's very easy to dislodge the imperatives in readings like this from the indicatives, right? So, like, yeah. like most religion is imperative indicative. Do this, and you'll be saved. Do this, and you'll be blessed. Do this, and you'll reach enlightenment. Versus indicative imperatives. This, you know, you are a new creation. You know, now live in light of that. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I, I, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So that the imperatives flow from what's already accomplished versus the imperatives being a means to get what you get this desired state. Yeah. And of course we get the, the little bit about, um, um, you know, he, he doesn't, it's not a prohibition against drinking. It's just a prohibition of against, um, you know, uh, well, drinking to excess. And, debauchery yeah and um and, and instead he you know there's a there's this notion and i think you've been getting at here which is being filled with the the spirit um and and uh because of that uh filling um you're not you're not singing bar songs you're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to god and 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 then giving thanks for the wine that you have, I was, and, and, and for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I we have this like really exclusive kind of grocery store in our area that's like high end cheese and high end fish and high end meat and high end produce and so forth and so on, and you can actually get a glass of wine and drink wine while you're going around shopping. They have this little card that you can dispense wine. Um, and uh, I remember when it first opened walking around in it and being a little bit grieved and trying to figure out why am I grieved? Because all of this in front of me is good. It's all blessed. It's all from God. It's all from the good earth. It's all from, from God's creation. And it's meant for my good and enjoyment. But I, and I really felt like the, like, like either myself just reflecting on what I know of God or the spirit of God speaking to me. I can never tell the difference between the two that no one was giving thanks for it. And that's what was grieving God and maybe grieving me or, or why I was experiencing grief was that there's this cornucopia of and, and colorful presentation of all this goodness. And people were just going through and not acknowledging that every last bit of it had come from the hand of God. The Christian life is, is, is all about grace and gratitude. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know, keep on giving For your kindness I'm in debt to you For your 
On to the gospel reading here. We've got John chapter 6, 51 through 58. Long stretch in the lectionary on the bread of life discourse. We have Jesus kind of wrapping it up, saying, I'm the bread, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And again, they, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then he says, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you you don't have any life in you. It's it's interesting because last week I preached on the previous text and I talked about what aboutism. Like we have this in our culture, right? You know, if 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 Donald Trump does something awful, then his supporters say, "Well, what about when Clinton did it?" Or vice versa, right? You know, the one side we have all these what aboutisms. If somebody critiques somebody, well, what about this? This is like a spiritual what aboutism, right? That several times, like, well, let me tell you this. Well, what about this? How is that possible? What about this? It's like the spiritual confused what aboutisms we get all throughout chapter six here, right? Oh, right. Yeah, they 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 don't understand what he's talking about. Um, and 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 the, you know, the first Christians were as vivid in their language about this as Christ is being now. That's why. One of the early critics of of Christianity um, was able to, in his sort of um, refutation of Christians, said said that that Christians drink loaves soaked in blood, um, and of course it was a misunderstanding of what it is that is happening at the Eucharist. But it also reveals how how vivid the Christian imagination was about what God was doing. And offering himself and and bread and wine, I was thinking about like how you know grain and grapes come from the hand of God. Um, I was talking about groceries a minute ago, and, and and you know people think about like they they make you know with the fruit with the with the sweat of their own brow they make all of this produce. It's not true. I mean, there there is a, there is a cooperation with our human labor, but I can't make a grain of, of wheat grow, and I can't make a grape grow. But we do take grain, and we do take grapes. They don't become bread and wine on their own. Human um, ingenuity is involved in taking grain and crushing it, and making it into bread, and crushing grapes, and and making it into wine. And God has chosen to make him his very life his flesh and his blood available to us by by means of bread and wine uh it's just tremendous and um we can get lost in kind of like i think as these people are doing like what does it mean is he is he is he asking us to be cannibal um, instead of understanding this this deeper truth that participates in the mystery that Christ himself participates in, which is that he is God become flesh. Um, and, 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 and the bread and the wine of the Eucharist are, um, you know, God become bread and wine. If you believe that God became, can become flesh, what, what keeps you from believing that God becomes bread and wine? Yeah, and it's interesting because there's an unless here, right? Unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you can't be. Right? So, it, it, there's a parallel unless in John three, unless you're born again of water and the Spirit. So you mm-hmm. have this unless with baptism and unless with with communion. It's it's uh, Dale Bruner in his wonderful commentary on John says this on this text: the sacraments are not a second way of salvation; they are simply Jesus' one way of salvation, scaled down, physicalized, individualized, simplified, and concretized from heart to hands, from soul to body, from group to individual. 
Jesus was eminently wise when he instituted the sacraments for his disciples. He knew that we need not only spiritual things, but also physical things mm-hmm. in order to grasp him, grasp him more easily, to come to him more specifically, look at Jesus' incarnation itself. Trust in Jesus is the only way of salvation, and Jesus is not complicating that trust by now making trust more difficult or liturgical mm-hmm. or accessible. On the contrary, he's giving to him, himself to us in this fresh new way in order to humanize and personalize his coming to us and to particularize our coming to him. The end of the worship service with Holy Communion on Sundays, the noontime Eucharist at the downtown church, the end of the camp conference with the Lord's Supper in the summer. All of us know what deep experiences the Eucharist, what, what deep experiences the Eucharist in all these places have been. So Jesus is not trying at all is not at all trying to make his salvation harder. No, he's trying to make it easier and more accessible. As a result, there need be no objections to what he is saying in this final sermonette in the bread sermon. Though we can understand that what he says here must at first have sounded strange, especially to the, these first hearers and before the church even offered communion. Beautiful. I mean, there's no cost, no preparation, no, no wisdom, no, um, no, no achievement on our part in going down into the water. God, God does it. And, and, and the bread and the wine are also freely offered apart from our achievement, apart from, um, our labor, apart from our, um, except in making it the bread and the wine itself available on the altar. But I mean, Apart from anything in ourselves, it's just, it's gratuitous. It's a gift. And whoever eats me will live because of me. Who, whoever eats this bread will live forever. And, and it's, it's the eats me and eats bread, eats this bread. There's just no distinction between either of those things. And, um, uh, yeah, I, it, I'm, of course, you know, I come from a tradition where this is so important to us and, and why yeah. we do it every time we gather. Yeah. And the way you enter into Christ, you don't do by yourself and you're, and you're past, like you receive it. And the way you renew that entry and communion, you don't do yourself. And it's receptive. You know, it's a gift. And it reminds us constantly that salvation is always a gift that is to be received, not something that is achieved. Yeah. And just like in the practical liturgics of that, right. Is that I have people come and, and they're used to taking, right. To take, they take the bread. Um, And what we have to do is sort of redirect them to the idea that the bread will be placed. The body will be placed. And I say that, say them simultaneously, the, for a reason will be placed in your hand. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't take it, you receive it. You know, uh, same with the cup, um, and and there's a truth um, that's there, um, and and in doing the manual action in the right way, that truth you know gets into ourselves. Well, blessings to those who will be receiving the word and the sacrament at your church and across the you know continents, and blessings to our listeners. Yeah, and and everybody who's listening to Synaxis who's pre- who's preparing to do this thing that is so strange and difficult and wonderful and blessed and hard and good all at the same time. It's just doing it every, I, I think doing it every week um, is uh, it's a real task um, enabled by the spirit, but man, the people who do it, I, I just have so much admiration for. 
And I have admiration for you, my friend, and thanks for coming on and doing this podcast with me. Hey, Scott, blessings, always. Blessings to you. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Ken for being on the podcast, and thank you again for listening. And until next time, friends, fare thee well.